Hey. 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 Boy, we done worked hard to get here, but we in here. I'm speaking over the instrumental because I don't want copyright yeah. infringement. We don't want nah. copyright infringement. I don't know nah. what crimes would infringe me. So I'm a nah. with infringement. Hey. <laughs> yo, yo, we in this thing. And let me we, see, let me see. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's that's uh -oh. that's instrumental number one. We always do two, you know how it is. Oh word, word. Hold on, let me let that thing ride right quick. There you go, there you go, get right. Oh yeah, for sure. A little, a little bit of those those Memphis guys, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. More, more red puppet for those, for those gentlemen that I that I happen to be a part of. <laughs> no, shout outs, man. Shout outs to those gentlemen. Yeah. Once wow. again, we want no beef or no smoke with the copyright infringement. You know what I'm saying? We uh, we acknowledge that. Okay. Yeah. That's why we playing. <laughs> You know, sing them at home, but we ain't singing. Yeah, them. you know, yeah, you can sing them, <laughs> but we is not gonna be singing them up here. Words, uh, word, man. So, uh, I guess, uh, I guess we can introduce ourselves, brethren. Um, you know, I'm Let's do I'm, it. Let's do it. I'm Reggie Bailey. Word, word, and I'm a killing Missouri. And um, when when we get together, we are books are pop culture. Um, this is episode two of culture. B A P C size B A P C as in books are pop culture size as in like a like like a a new version of a B side. You know, we have the singles that we release on IG Live. On Sundays, yeah, at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Mississippi. Sometimes weeknights, like this week coming up, we're actually gonna do 7 p.m. Monday, uh, September 13th, right? 7 p.m. Eastern, war, 6 p.m. Mississippi, right? That's gonna be a single. Yeah, this is the B side. When the B sides are strong, that's how you know the project is a classic, and we like to create classic projects mm -hmm. over here at Books mm -hmm. of Pop Culture. So uh, welcome, yes, yes, welcome to, uh, yes, the latest, the latest B side track that's gonna make this project a classic. So, uh, on, man, on that super note, excited. Yeah, man. I guess, guess we can dive into uh, to to more than books just right now. Um, do you want to go okay. first, or, or or should I, man? What you thinking, Bridget? You go ahead, man. You 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 go ahead. You got the mic. Alright, I got two things on my mind. The first Word. thing, first thing we're gonna talk about is how I gotta get a new laptop immediately. <laughs> <laughs> first things first, huh? 
man. First things first, man. I gotta get a new one immediately because, like, uh, like, like Achilles was saying when we, uh, when we was getting on and we was jamming to, you know, a, an instrumental, right? It it took a lot to get right here, and I don't, I don't it like took that. A lot. I don't like that yeah, at all. Yeah. So, you know, you gotta, uh, <laughs> as, as you know, your your favorite self help guru probably says, you gotta invest in yourself. And and the way I gotta invest in myself is get a laptop, man. That's for sure. Um, you, you still there, brother? Okay. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I feel that. I actually need one too, man. I think, I. Yeah. 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 On this here high spots, I think I'm having some some laptop issues of my own, right, darn now. Nah, <laughs> uh, oh, we're gonna get it right though. We're gonna get it right. I love this connection. It's about to get right. All right, cool, man. So it sounds like we both need a laptop, man. That's why we gotta, you know, we gotta get on Patreon and all that too, man. Cause, you know. <sighs> But uh, but nonetheless, I'm uh, you know, that's gonna be my first thing we talk about. There we go. Uh, nice, nice. So, uh, the second thing I want to mention is, you know, I'm now the proud owner of two cats, two, well, one cat and one kitten. Um, okay. shout out to to my cat Sebastian. Shout out to my kitten Penelope, who I've been calling P. Who I've been calling Penny, who I've been calling Homegirl. Yeah. Big ups to her. Um, big ups to, you know, Kathea, uh, my my love, for for bringing yes, home yes. this second cat. Now, I, if I'm gonna tell a story, I gotta tell it honestly, right? So, <laughs> the the honest truth is, I was I was a little difficult about it at first, you know, because yeah, a little leery. I was a little leery because. Okay, a while ago, like when I first started like falling for Sebastian, right? I was like, you know, Kathea suggests she's like, you know, babe, we should get a second cat. I'm like, you know what? Let's get a second cat. Let's get Sebastian's yeah. company, right? So we end up going to the SPCA and we end up hearing about this cat they have named Panther, this black cat named Panther, right? Go figure, named the black cat Panther. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, she takes Sebastian to, you know, visit Panther just to see, like, you know, how they, you know, if they, if it's everything's copacetic, everything's cool, whatever, whatever, if they, if they mesh right, like you were just doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, she takes him to the SP, SPCA, and, you know, uh, she does it, I'm at work at the time, at home, whatever, and she calls me, right, like, after she leaves, and she's like, nah, we ain't, we ain't getting Panther. Yeah, it's so, work. Yeah. <laughs> and she sends me a video and Panther's like hissing at Sebastian. Panther mm. was not nah. Panther was like, no, Sebastian. Right? Oh, and, God, and yeah. My 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 young boy, you know, he he cool, but he ain't he ain't from the streets. He ain't from the wild. And we yeah. learned like <laughs> like afterward, oh, uh Panther is the son of a feral cat. I was like, oh, go figure. That that's why he <laughs> we gonna bring him in the crib and he gonna run the house. It's gonna be his yeah. house. Yeah. You know what I mean? He gonna start Already. paying. Right? Yeah. So 
that and after that happened, I'm like, you know what? We don't need another cat. Sebastian, yeah. we got our pet cat. He got his pet humans, right? Yeah. Whatever. So <laughs> last weekend, Kathea comes back with another cat, and I was like, "Come on, what are you doing? Like, you just gonna come back with another cat? Blah blah blah." And you know, just like Sebastian, she ended up getting uh, Penelope for free and all that. And I'm not gonna lie, we had a we had a discussion about it, right? Wow. And we continue to discuss about it after they see each other and they're hissing at each other. I'm like, look, look, you done got us into, right? But turns out that, you know, they're pretty cool with each other or whatever. Um, they play around a lot. They play fight. I, I'd be worried about whether it's real or not. But, yeah. it, it, you know, they, they seem to be in a good spot, though. So, yeah. Uh, one day at a time, I'm glad uh, glad to have another cat in our life, man. And I'm, uh, you know, that that's, that's my more than books for the week, man. That's what's up, son. Well, I think my more than books, it's not necessarily a huge thing, but I'm thinking about it as you are, uh, you know, talking about your pet. I haven't had a pet in a while, but I would love to have this animal here. The Alaskan Malamute. Yes. Yes. That dog is, I mean, of course, if you're watching out there, if you're familiar with uh, BAPC or Black Man Reading, you know I love wolves. And that dog is like my dream dog. But I don't know if he would ever survive here in the South <laughs> because of the, yeah, they always say, um, they always say that um, the coat is too thick for down here. Uh, but I got a homeboy who has a husky, right? Um, yeah, shout out to my brother Coop. Um, I'm actually going to see him tomorrow, but he has a husky and it's surviving. So, you know, uh, I think it's possible. So I think that, and um, the other thing I would say is I'm getting a head start on Christmas shopping. Hey, yeah. that yeah. is a good move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So I got I got a very large um, thing uh, that uh, I'm pretty sure the junior will be excited about. Nice. Nice. Yeah, uh, I can't say it because he's in the other room, so he might, you know, he might be fake sleep. You know what I'm saying? So, ball, huh? yeah. <laughs> Word, man. No, that's actually that's actually a good idea. You might have influenced me because, you know, I gotta of course take care of Cathedral. Gotta, uh, you know, I'm probably gonna get something for both the cats. Although, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, mom, dad, brother, yeah. Everybody, I had to go ahead and get a, get a head start on that too, man. So, word life at you, man. So, uh, next after this, right, we got uh, the read with BAPC picks, man. So, uh, y'all know next week, September yeah. 19, 2021, we're gonna be talking Opal and Nev, as in the mm. final revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. Um, see where we at. I'm uh, very excited about this. We are very excited about this. Um, September 19th, 2021 on IG Live. We're going to be doing that. Um, so y'all make sure you're following at Books Are Pop Culture on Instagram. Yes. Um, you'll catch us on IG Live. We're going to break the book down, give it the APC treatment. Um, yeah, yeah. Super excited. I've been meaning to read that for a while. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, anybody who might see it, you know, you got Opal and Neb behind me right here. I've been meaning to get mm-hmm. to it, man. And it's and it's one mm-hmm. of 
when, when we uh when we talked at the beginning of the year about the books we're most excited for this was on my list man um I, i'm very excited to just just see what the story is working with man and, and i'm excited to break it down you know like how yeah. we do yeah uh it's my first what are they they're calling it some some type of cool thing but i know it's a, it's heavily influenced by oral history right yeah. and i've already kind of like gotten to it a little bit and i really like the the way that the stories are are woven together uh on top of the journalism so i'm super excited to continue digging into that sucker it's like uh it's kind of like like those uh um, like on vh1 right they had those shows called i love the 90s i love the mm-hmm. O's, whatever love the 80s right yeah. or maybe even like behind the music or something right word, like word. That, right and uh yeah it's fly. It, it, it's sent as a black woman, just like all those documentary shit. Just like all those documentary shit. Yes. Yeah, you already know. And then uh, also, you know, October, come see us too, because we're gonna be talking Oreo by Fran Raw, mm-hmm. classic from nineteen seventy four. That's still ahead of its time. Yes, um, yes. We're gonna show the world that the you know experimenting is not enough you got to bring some mm-hmm. quality with them experiments and y'all y'all know what i'm talking about preach preacher yes yes <laughs> so uh <laughs> you know uh, other than that man that uh that segment by the way the the read with bapc picks was sponsored by ourselves one of us man uh the 10 books 10 decades challenge uh yes, yes. something uh you know uh i i uh what do i was gonna say i created right reggie reggie here i created this um it's a challenge where i encourage people to read each year 10 books from 10 different decades uh you know you can you can review them all you can share them all all right just make sure i see it man tag me at reggie reads on instagram when you're reviewing one of the books all of them showing them doesn't matter whenever you're talking 10 books 10 decades tag me uh, we're gonna have some fun with it. Yes, so, yes. Uh, one of the one of the two greatest challenges on <laughs> the internet. You might hear the second one later on. Maybe, man. Maybe we mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna keep them in suspense though. Word. <laughs> so uh but this next segment though we're gonna do is uh books of pop cultural commentary. And uh, I think I think you might have a word from a sponsor there, man. Yes, this one is brought to you by a black man reading and a black man reading dot com. And uh, books are pop culture. Cultural commentary is where commentary is provided on select topics through our unique and specific lens. Right. And so, uh, yeah, this is where it's going to go down. Ed. This is uh, the meat and potatoes, if you will. Right. Word, man. Word. And uh I, I know I'm excited to get into these week's topics. This week's topics, uh, you know, we this is where we, uh, like I said, this is where we turn the project into a classic with topics like yes, this. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Without further ado, we looks like we're gonna talk about uh, Michael K. Williams. So, you know, yes. first and foremost, uh, rest in peace to Michael K. Williams. Um, I know. Uh, I don't know about you, brother, but when uh, when he passed away, um, he was all over my timeline, man. All over it, like there same, was, there same. Was, uh, yes, there was like no other topic to talk about, right? 
Um, and I believe that yeah. was uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna find the day here because I don't want to be disrespectful. That was uh, word, word. September sixth, twenty twenty one. Yeah. So a week from a week uh, prior to today. Yeah. Uh, and throughout this week, there have been a lot of uh, words said about Michael K. Williams online, offline, whatever the case may be. Um, but today we're going to talk about some words that were said online about Michael K. Williams, uh, specifically from the undefeated, from uh, David Dennis Jr. Yes, um, yes. Do you want to kind of kind of take yeah. us in there? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the title is uh, "What Michael K. Williams Taught Me About Being a Man." Uh, and yeah, the subscript that says he was an icon for black queer men, but he was also a beacon for what's possible to ask of straight black men. And uh, David Dennis is the author of the upcoming book, uh, The Movement Made Us, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, and he's also the son of David Dennis, a uh, revolutionary um, that was very instrumental in my own home state, right? So uh, definitely a writer to kind of keep on your uh, radar, if you will. Um, but yeah, this was because uh, I you, believe it or not, right? If you're listening out there, I um, did not watch The Wire. I still have not watched The Wire. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> but um, you know, I have been a fan of of uh, Williams from afar, and also from Lovecraft Country. Um, is uh yeah yeah where i really kind of got familiarized with his uh acting chops if you will um and one thing when i first read the article um and made it a part of uh one of the first things i saw right was uh dennis talking about those opening episodes of the wire right i believe it's like like the first three episodes where you guys are familiarized with williams uh character omar can you speak a little bit to omar at all? Oh, yeah, 100, 100. Yeah. So, uh, although, although Achille has a little bit of catching up to do when it yeah. comes to Fire, <laughs> um, that is the best TV show I have ever seen. That's what, right? people, that's what folks say, man. Man, it, it doesn't get any better than The Wire as of yet, right? Yeah. Um, however, um, David Dennis Jr. was talking about at, at the front of the piece, right? How on episode three, Omar sitting on a stoop with uh with his boyfriend uh Brandon, I believe, yeah. right? Um mm-hmm. and then they have I think the other character's name is uh what? What? John? Yeah. John yeah. is sitting there and John's kind of like repulsed because yeah. Omar's very affectionate, just kind of, you know, just loving on his man, right? Yeah. yeah. Um and that that's not what John or anyone would expect, especially from someone as uh, infamous as Omar, someone as intimidating, someone who instills so much fear in other people's hearts like Omar. They would expect him to live up to this ideal man, this ideal patriarchal man, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. The ideal patriarchal man is with a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's how that's how that's how they kind of position it here in America and I and I would dare say uh all over the globe. Right. Right. And and what this piece does so well, what David Dennis Jr. does so well is show us that uh, we should not 
believe in America's ideals on what a man should be. Um, mm-hmm. David Dennis shows us that masculinity can be whatever it wants to be in this piece. And he reckoned with that very well. And that's um, that's probably one of the biggest things I take away from the piece. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what more would you want to Same, same thing. I I was uh, taken aback by how unaware I was of all the ways uh, masculinity, or rather masculinity as I was brought up uh, to kind of understand it, uh, has been wielded in locker rooms, classrooms, lunch tables, barbecues, etc. When he talks about how Terry Crews um, in Friday After Next was like a caricature uh, that kind of made this play that men that looked like him couldn't lust after other men, to use Dennis's words, right? Um, And so that and the other main takeaway that I have was uh, when Dennis wrote about William's embrace of his body and dancing, right? Like, I want to go check out some of those, um, some of those short, short, uh, I guess, like reels or maybe like TikToks or whatever, right? Videos that are probably on YouTube of uh williams enjoying himself and and like dennis said uh this embrace of uh the body and how we can make our bodies move it made me think about the interview we had i had with uh philip uh b williams when he was talking about the importance of dance and how dance can kind of you know free be freeing to a spirit that is otherwise caged if that makes sense yeah i like that i like that word how yeah. dancing is the freeing of a body that is caged. Yeah. Wow, that's a that that Philip like created that. Philip was saying. I that? just I that oh. just came out of me live. Oh. That was me right there. Listen, Philip 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 said some things that inspired that bar. <laughs> hey, that's what it's all about, man. Uh, what did what did uh rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle? What did he used to say? Uh, like to to inspire is like the best thing. You can do or something like that for someone. Something, something. like that. Yeah. <laughs> rest, rest in peace, brethren. I'm not trying to butcher your quote, but it's always nice to be inspired, man. Shout out to uh to Philip. Shout out to your bar because that is really good. That's a really good bar. Hey, man, it felt good coming off the tongue, man. <laughs> Word, man. Word. Yeah. So, uh, and, and once again, uh, rest in peace to Michael K. Williams. Yes, Lord. Um, definitely. Sending, uh, you know, what, you know, whatever it's worth, sending condolences out to those uh, who who loved him, those who were the closest to him, um, and you know, one day at a time, I suppose. From here, word, word, yeah, man. And um, from there, we go off to um, an interesting topic. This is something we've been wanting to talk about for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. A long time ago, I want to say this piece probably came out around 2010 to 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a piece called "From What From Richard Wright to Jay Z: The Decline of Young Black Male Writers," and this yeah. is a piece from Kevin Reeves, who came out with a novel called "Smile" in 2011. Uh, "Smile" is like the the way the novel spells it is S dot M dot i dot l dot e Uh, and basically to give a brief overview of this article before i pass it back to you right reeves 
puts out there that young black men, and, and by young, we're going to say kind of like the National Book Award when they give out their, their uh, like th- five under 35 and even the Young Lions Award where, you know, authors are awarded, right? They are only nominated if they're 35 years old or younger, right? Yeah. So we're going to say young is 35 or younger. Um, Reeves posits that ever since hip hop was created, which some people say the early 70s, but the popular narrative is the late 70s. Why, why? That young black, you see a decline in black men 35 years old and under writing literary fiction, right? Writing literary fiction such as, because he, he lists examples in here, such as Native Son, which was published by Richard Wright around 32. Go yeah. Tell on the Mountain, which was published by James Baldwin around 29 years old. Hue and Cry by James Allen McPherson, uh, published around when he was around 25 years old. 25. Uh, Gene Toomer, right? The infamous Kang. The infamous Kang. <laughs> is published when Gene Toomer is around 29. Mm-hmm. And what Reeves suggests in this article is that if those same men were to put out a piece of art now, that it would more than likely be an album. It would more than likely maybe be a, a rap album in particular, right? Yeah. Um, that's where we'll start. Let's uh, let, let's wax philosophically about this, brother. What, uh, <laughs> what 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 thoughts do you have in mind? You know, the first funny thing I was just thinking about that is not in my notes at all is that, you know, I'm from where Richard Wright is from, right? Um, but I wanted to be a rapper first, right? And Uh-oh. and and there is a uh there's a line in here where he which I think is really I think it's like one sentence. Let me see if I can find it here. It's literally like one sentence. I think is the most one of the most important things that he says here, where he says, today in many black communities, the children, boys in particular, are not receiving the proper support and encouragement regarding literacy. How is it that I, born in Natchez, did not know of right, you know what I mean, until I am well, you know, well into probably, I mean, at, at least 26, 27, and even and even then, I don't know that he's from Natchez, right? Like, I only find that out for sure, for sure, when I start a black man reading and go and take those pictures that I took uh, with the barber of Natchez on the river, and I look back, and I see the green sign, right? You know what I'm saying? And so I think that's, that's where the light is. Because, you know, at first he says... Um, at first, he says like he do, he did his due diligence in terms of research. Um, uh, after dedicated research or dedicated search, I found none. Right? Um, yeah. Which I think is where one could easily maybe like critique it though, right? Because I'm sure that that um, you know if you search, you'll find that there were some authors that were kind of creating um, throughout this, like you said, since we're labeling it kind of. Or, 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 I guess, positioning it like the National Book Award with that age uh, range. Right. I'm sure you can find them, right? I, I know you probably know a few just off the top of your head, right? Um, 
I ain't gonna lie, man. Maybe oh. maybe we gotta do like a part two of this conversation after some research. Cause <laughs> young, young black authors, like like as in thirty five and under. Yeah, nothing. I mean, by no, the time, nothing, nothing coming up right now. Like for example, I can name some today, right? I can name mm-hmm. Brandon Taylor now. I can name Brian Washington now. Nathan Harris now. I can name Nana Kwame Ajabrinya now. J.M. Holmes now, right? I believe all of those gentlemen are 35 and under, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, off the top of my head, when I'm thinking around 2010, 2011, and forgive me if you hear this and you published a book when you were 35 and under, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, off the top of my head, the only one that I could think of, and I'm not sure what his age was at the time, um, but I have my phone here, so I maybe can check, is Denal uh, um, Mingestu, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, he wrote, his debut novel came out in 07, and it's called, uh, what is it? The Beautiful Things That Heaven Bears, actually have mm. So, okay, so he was born in 78. Which means, yes, so that's one guy, right? So uh-huh. by the time this article came out, he probably was like, what, 32, maybe, 33, um, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, that is, and funny enough, he actually was a 5 under 35 honor, honoree by the National Book Award. Okay. Um, okay. That really, off the top of my head, once again, is the it. only one that I can really think of right now. Um, okay. But for the research, I'm curious, what was Daniel I, Black's age? Then? I'll ask you this though. Okay, yeah. so with the with the with the research aside, right? Like, so so it's feeling like the search might, you know, not wield or not um, not bring forth the results, right? But let me ask you this. I mean, when these guys are writing. Um, some of them probably, but I'm pretty sure all of them. People were singing. Brothers were singing, right? Yeah. Why didn't Why didn't James Baldwin uh, attempt to uh, be a singer, right? Or or and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I think is a question because I, I would, because I, I just not that I can, of course, think back to when some of these guys were first started writing. But I know that, like, when singing was a thing, brothers wanted to sing, right? Right. You hear all about, like, how people are up and down Detroit and these uh, various boy groups, et cetera, et cetera. And I imagine even further back, it was probably still the same. It might not have been the same kind of music. uh, But, you know, like I said, brothers were singing, brothers were playing instruments, um, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So what do you think about that? Like, why why didn't James pick up a trumpet? Um... (laughs) James Baldwin, I love you, brother. Um, maybe he wasn't good at it. <laughs> maybe, you know maybe, I mean? maybe. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe he wasn't good at it. Um, and 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 I guess I gotta keep it art. So I'm not gonna name any sports that that, that these men could be playing because I think, I, at least for that time, right? Baldwin for three, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> like he just happened to have. And, and now I'm thinking, right? So, so you know, I can talk like, like the history of books a little bit here. 
Baldwin releases Go Tell on the Mountain in 53, if my memory serves correctly, right? Mm -hmm. So by the time Mm -hmm. 53 comes around, his role model is Richard Wright. His role model is Chester Hine. His role model is even Ann Petrie. His role model is Dorothy West, Gene Toomer, Wallace Thurman, George Schuyler. He has many role models at the time. Now I'm kind of getting out of young black male role models. I guess Richard Wright's the main one. And we know mm-hmm. that. We know that like from the uh, If He Hollers Let Him Go introduction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, James Baldwin was just drawn to letters. I think at that time, too, I'm- authors did have a higher profile in the arts did seem to uh, have more more respect and more prestige. Um, at least the literary arts did. Um, although, although they still have this respect and prestige, um, it has much more competition now than what it did in the 50s, 60s, whatever the case may be, I think. I'm looking at Ray Charles, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, yeah. Hot fifties. Fifties right. going down. Right. You don't think you don't think James wanna you know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe he wanted to do that <laughs> first. <laughs> you know, but he but he realized like, yo man, you know, I, I'm really ill with the pen. <laughs> I'm really ill with the pen. You know, coming up in the pen, church. Man. Coming up yeah. in the church, James might could have got down on the organ, you know what I'm saying? James Mike could have got down that organ, man. But I'm telling you, he must have known about that pen. He knew better. He, he must have known, like, yo, if anything, I can write a song, but I ain't about to perform it. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, Let man. me see. I, I I have to know this now. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, nice Ill 50s roster, though. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I saw Fast Domino on there, too. Uh, but see the thing is right how old were all those guys though because don't we gotta yeah. like because i cause think now, i think richard and them gonna be kind of young at that time i'm thinking so don't, don't quote me on that yeah i do i do a little i do a little little, little bit of googling too so hue and cry is published in 69 yep hue and cry is published in 69 or 68 one of those i've seen both years attributed to that yeah, so Richard Wright, not Richard Wright, Lil Richard in the 50s is in his 20s because Lil Richard was born in 1932. Um, and then you said Ray Charles, right? So these are young black male role models, right? Ray Charles was born in 1930. So that means in the 50s, he's in his 20s um, by the time James Baldwin is publishing uh, books. Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. ooh, it's nice to have your phone on you. Like, yeah, yeah. I like how this on July. Oh, Sebastian trying to make a cameo on here. Hey, yeah. Go ahead and chill out, buddy. Um, <laughs> Chuck Berry's born in 1926. So by the time the 50s come, he's under 35. Mm-hmm. So I guess you ready for, for some, this? What's up? All right. So in the 60s, right? Yeah. For Hue and Cry, you got yeah. Marvin Gaye, The Temptations. James Brown, Bobby Blue Band, The Supremes, Smokey. Who don't want to be Smokey Robinson? Marvin Gaye is born in 1939, brother, in the 60s. He doesn't even make it out of the 60s uh, as a 31-year-old, right? Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. who, who else you said? You said Smokey Robinson. You got Smokey. You know, Smokey's been 18 for 72 years. Ooh, Smokey born in 1940. That means by 1970, he turned 30. Uh, okay. I'm not going to do all the temptations. That's, that's but yeah. But yeah, it's, I'm sure it's probably <laughs> the same story because it's been consistent with from Little Richard on to Smokey Robinson, right? So yeah. that is, respectfully, there's there's what we've pointed out here. Well, what you led and what I'm discovering, I'll say, a hole in, in Mr. Reeves' argument, right? It is basically what you're getting at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree. I agree as well, even with the hip-hop thing, because ultimately, I think, I think the, the bigger problem here is probably what books are being published. Uh, what, what was the publishing industry feeling at the time? Was Black in Vogue, right? Because one thing that we know just from our study of the industry is that there are moments when certain identities are in vogue, yeah. such as the Harlem Renaissance, such as the Black Arts Movement, such as 2020 and 2021, even 2019, right? Reeves are, does bring that up too. There are these moments where Black is in vogue, and he says that, so I will credit him. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, it's almost like he said it as an aside, where it's like, like it's almost as if it wasn't considered when it talked about the uh, the 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 decrease. There was more yeah. emphasis placed on hip hop than there was the be- the black being in vogue thing. And I wonder if I would argue black not being in vogue to the industry has more of a, a impact than hip hop does on this lack of young black male literary uh novelist yeah yeah i think so too because he did kind of present it like an aside and and i think let me see because he says his first thought is to talk about like what's being published and uh what's not being published and i think another interesting point in this article probably i think this is my last point is um he highlights that it is easier to pen a song than to undertake the long grueling task of writing a book right which i think when you when you when you couple that or juxtapose that with the amount of money that some of these brothers are uh making in rap it almost makes a a perfect recipe to uh steal brothers away you know right so how about how about this as an idea too Mm because now as i continue to think and we continue to talk it seems like multiple things are true. Mm-hmm. It seems like, like, like for example, uh, Lil Baby's a popular rapper, and I'm, I'm not trying to insult him when I say this, right? But can you imagine Lil Baby and maybe his upbringing, what you know about it, what he would say in an interview, right? Can you see literary fiction becoming his thing, right? Maybe not. That's not to say that young black men who grow up under certain circumstances don't uh, gravitate towards that. James Baldwin is an example of that, literally. Richard Wright as well, right? You know, Richard Richard was, yeah. 
Yeah, some of y'all have read Black Boy out there. Y'all know what it is. Y'all know what he went through and how he gravitated to literature, right? I just mm-hmm. think that, uh, like, like basically what I'm getting at is this. If you're going to blame hip-hop, you got to also put in, you got to leave the arts. And you got to say, hey, basketball done took away some of our authors. You got to look at uh, football and say football has taken away some of our authors because guess what? Basketball, last I checked, is 80% black or yeah. around there. Last Mark. I checked, football is around 70% black. Last mm-hmm. I checked, uh, my my boy Giannis is what on a five year I want to say two hundred twenty eight million dollar contract. Have you ever seen a, a literary novelist on a five year two hundred twenty eight million dollar contract? I have. Yeah, but but I hope it's me. Not yet, but I <laughs> hey, hope it's bro. me. <laughs> hey, I hope it is too, brother. I really do. <laughs> I really I hope you change the game. Yeah, <laughs> but. And and now this kind of goes back to our last conversation about Michael K. Williams and about patriarchy, because what happens now is these these young men understand there's an ideal. A lot of these young men understand there's an ideal image they're supposed to live up to, an ideal Absolutely. role they're supposed to live Absolutely. up to. A lot of time that role involves them being a provider, and, and a lot of times providing means you're providing finance. If, mm-hmm. if we need something, oh, you can buy it. Of course, we're going to be able to buy it because you're around. You're you're living up to this idea of what you're supposed to be. So they're going to look at writing and they're going to say, you know what? As much as I like it, I maybe can do this on the side, but I got to make sure I have something that's going to make me some real money, quote unquote. Right? Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I think there's a lot of elements at play to why young we don't we didn't for a time see a lot of young black male authors yes yes um i just think can you you can still hear me good right i can yes sir all right i just think that um well baby would take this time to say when you're risk like this you don't check the forecast every day it's gonna rain word (laughs) and that is why he decided to rap (laughs) Because it's raining every day in his world. Come on now. <laughs> you know? And um, you know, we just, you know, I, I I what I do, what I will say though, I don't want to dismiss the article because I think it's a very mm-hmm. good conversation starter. Right? Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even I'm not calling it a bad article. I mean, sure, you're 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 supposed to read everything critically. You can't take everything as like uh biblical, so to speak. You can't just take everything because someone said it eloquently. You gotta think about it, and that's what we're doing right here. Word, word, yeah, yeah. So I feel the same way about it. Where were you at now? Let me see. Uh, we done made it to Octavia Butler, man. Oh, uh, yes, in the infamous 1980 essay, Lost Races of Science Fiction. Come um, on, man. So, context for those who 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 uh keep up with us in the on the world of IG, you know that uh, mm-hmm. it was it was a uh, what probably a few episodes ago, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah. We talked about uh, the young man whose name escapes me. Uh, yeah, but we talked about how this essay, which is like a seminal essay in the world of science fiction, was edited by a boy at the time who was fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. Not only was he fourteen, but he was bold and he was audacious. Ouch. 
Ouch, yeah. Yes. He, he was having conversations with Octavia Butler, giving her feedback that you wouldn't even expect, like, an editor of age. Miguel <laughs> Esteban. Miguel Esteban. Wow. Mm-hmm. Miguel Esteban. That is quite a story. What You, you got the piece in front of you now? It's, I know it's on the New York Review piece. book, ain't it? It is. Uh, I'm on the uh, L.A. Uh, Review LA. books. Octavia Butler and the Pimply Pompous Publisher. <laughs> Right. And right. yes, please go read that because my man is, I mean, 14 was just a blimp in the amazingness of the gall that my brother was kind of putting down from what looks like 12 on up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> word, 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 yo. Yeah, yeah. Word. And it, it's it's wild now to read this essay, which, hey. I was definitely a fan of, right? It's mm-hmm, wild to mm-hmm. know that this essay, which is going to live forever, as long as, well, it's going to live forever even when things get better, honestly, because people look at this as a piece that, you know, influenced thought and all that. It's mm-hmm. just wild to know that this comes, this was edited by a 14-year-old boy. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, which, I mean, does this mean that Esteban is a Prodigy? I mean, <laughs> I'm going I'm to give it to him, right? I mean, a prodigy, look. So, what? A prodigy is you, you have a, a a gift at something, right? It doesn't yeah, mean you have to be good at everything. Hey, he apparently was a gifted editor if this is an essay that if he's able to put this piece out in the LA Review of Books, talking about his story, how he edited this essay in 2021, right? And the fact that like it, it was an actual magazine too. He so so that, that's thing. important context. It's the sole issue of the magazine, but the nonetheless, same. it's an issue of a magazine that was ran and edited by some 14-year-old boy at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm gonna say this. If that 14-year-old boy was my son, guess what I call him? A prodigy. A prodigy, man. Mm. Yeah. So. Bad, bad man. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, man, the, the, let me see here. I think I still got the, the, okay, yeah. My thing, just starting off, let me scroll right. to the top. Um, the first sentence is, um, is Liddy, right? Uh, 14 years ago, during my first year of college, I sat in a creative writing class and listened as my teacher and elderly man told another student not to use black characters in his stories unless those characters' blackness was somehow essential to the plot. The presence right. of blacks, my teacher felt, changed the focus of a story and drew attention from the intended subject. Those are Octavia's uh, first two sentences here in Lost Races of Science Fiction. Um, I guess this is where I, I react, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, you, so you. It just that line right there explains so much about the books that are put out by these large publishers. Mm-hmm. Where if you are black, there needs to be some racial element 
right? Some some controversial racial elements in your book for it to become a big hit, right? Yeah. I say that because we are familiar with an author like Percival Everett, who does not necessarily write about race in all of his work. Yeah. Um, we know about even Colson Whitehead, who sure the characters may be black, but the book may not be about race per se, right? Um, however, what attention are those books getting? Right? Are they number one for weeks on end, like The Hate You Give? Are those number one uh, for weeks on end, like well? I don't want to say number one for weeks on end, but I'm pretty sure Children of Blood and Bone was very successful. Um, and they even had that have a racial element. It was like, what? Like the colorism element, right? Yeah, even, yeah. Even in the absence of whiteness, they want there to be some type of racial, colorful element if we know that there are characters who are black. Um yeah. It's just, it's interesting. And then what I don't want to do here is solely focus on that because black, you know, and African-American fiction, right, in, in the U.S. and around the world is vast. You can find yeah. all kinds of stories if you're looking for them, but it is interesting to see the ones that are pushed. Yeah. I can't deny that. Ooh, you, you, you're hurting me when you, when you said that point about children of blood and bone, because I'm, I, I like it so much. But now I'm thinking, could could it have worked if that wasn't a, as huge an element? You know, because in this, because that's what this article, that's one of the things that this article is talking about. Um, and I don't, and and please, I like I just said, I love that book. Um, but the, there's three, there's three parts that Octavia is talking about, and the last one I believe is, is either, no, it's the second one, is laziness. Like, I don't think that she was being lazy in the writing, but I'm trying to think of if there was some other way to kind of put those, all these different factions at odds. Uh, I mean, because you could have, you could, I guess you could have just literally made it about the fact that these folks had magic and these folks didn't, right? You know, um, there's a possibility there. And again, I love that book. Put that out there. That's a really dope, um, that's a really dope cut. You know what I mean? Uh, that you know Octavia is posing. What I don't know when this when is this essay uh, originally published? This essay is published uh, in nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty, yeah. So you know, again, talk about prophetic, which is a word that definitely uh, should be almost in every sentence uh, that mentions Octavia Butler, oh, right? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna add this element to it uh, too, right? Uh, when I first read those first two lines, the first thing that came to my mind, oddly enough, which does show up later on, is film. I was yeah. like, yo, I wonder just how much, not even really wonder, because I know it happened, right? How much this thought process extended itself to Hollywood um, as Hollywood was kind of coming around, especially in, the, in that same time frame uh, in terms of like bringing Black folk in. We got to have one Black person and when they interact with everybody else, it's going to be about race. Right, we, even on sitcoms, we got one black person. When they interact with everyone, it's gonna be about race. Um, and so, uh, really, really dope um, thing 
And now I'm also thinking about what was, so did he have this idea and he sent it to her for what he wanted? Let me see. I'm, I'm scrolling um, through the original. Right. I, I'm, I think if anything, it was more so she had the idea and I think mm-hmm. he just kind of like, like I, he, I know he had the, the, the infamous email he sent her, I think about the second person that was originally in like the closing sentence. Mm-hmm. And he thought it was like too didactic or whatever the case may be or in the closing paragraph. Um, so I think it was always her idea. Yeah. What you what you got? I, I, know you I got it no. pulled up. I got it pulled up. He says, after hearing you speak at the Fantasy Fair convention, I wondered if you would be willing to write an article giving the reader an insight on the who, what, where, when, why, and how of minorities in science fiction oh, with yeah. emphasis on blacks. I would like you to discuss things on the line of how writers can write believable characters into their stories, why they tend to ignore minorities, and how they ignore minorities, why they tend to write unbelievable minority characters, etc. Right. What a 14-year-old. And then, look, like I said on our show, when my man, when my man wrote that who, what, where, when, why, and how, the homies that are in the garage with my man is like, yeah, yeah. bars, bars. <laughs> oh, you, you killed that one, and you're saying minorities. Like you're not even offending her, bro. Liz. Like it's like you want to do that little because <laughs> I know that's what they was doing, man. I know it. Yeah, I mean, I hey, listen, man. I remember one time I was dumb hype, and I want to say one of my boys. This is when I was in Germany, and one of my boys was sending up an email, and he was pretending to be his mom. Mm. And like he had the words, the vocabulary, the voice down pat. I was like, "Yo, how you do that? I couldn't. I wouldn't even think to word it like that. You sound like yeah. a professional." So yeah, yeah. I can one hundred percent retweet, verify, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, confirm that you're correct. If he was around his boys, they was hyping them because I know I was. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. Did you have another uh, particular point that that kind of struck you? Yeah, man. Um, and, and something I almost want to even challenge a little bit, right? How how dare I challenge the mm. perspective of the mighty Octavia? Well, I mean, a fourteen year old did it, so I think you. <laughs> I mean, I think you. We should extend you some grace here. <laughs> okay. In, in that case, if uh, I actually got to put up my phone, if Miguel Esteban could do it when he was fourteen, I guess Reggie <laughs> can, can challenge a little bit at thirty one, right? Yeah. So. I noticed in this article, right, and I kind of had this written down like this, so I'll read it how I have it written down. Octavia Butler grouped minorities together in this article when in reality I see other minorities suffering from the same issues as whites when it comes to representing black characters in their work, right? Um, and, I, and I think that that is important to say. Um, and, and look, I won't even, what I won't do too is, you know, I'm um, I, I'm venturing in the, you know, foreign territory, so to speak, when it comes to reading. So maybe I'll realize, oh, there were certain times where black authors even misrepresented, you know, maybe indigenous people or, or yeah. you know, someone from the Asian diaspora, whatever the case may be. Um, but from what I know, from what I see with other people and what I've seen pointed out in books that are written by Asian authors and books that are written by white authors and books that are written by non-black authors, um, it's not just a white thing where the... Uh, blacks are being stereotyped, where they're being misrepresented, uh, where there are these easy 
representations that are pushed out um, in, in, in popular culture. Um, yeah. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that there was a white centering um, in this article. Um, I, I think what, and this is the 80s, so maybe maybe we're not having this conversation with the same frequency, I'll say. Um, I, I think frequency is probably the better word because the nuance I yeah, believe absolutely. is always been there. Um, yeah. But uh, I would have liked for maybe this to center a non-black perspective as opposed to a white uh not 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 perspective i think to to maybe to look at a myriad of uh perspectives instead of simply the white perspective there we go Mm -hmm. because i'm i'm recording on something i don't know how to talk so thank you i appreciate appreciate you uh filling in for me there but yeah basically um non-blacks misrepresent blacks frequently is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and and to your point earlier about us venturing out and reading other uh um other ethnicities and other races uh and and their work uh, I was just thinking about a conversation I had with someone about uh, breast and eggs. And um, I, if, I, if I butcher your name, of course, forgive me, but Miko uh, Kawakami. Um, they were talking about the writing and it's a conversation between the two sisters. And they were like, uh, the writing is um, is not, I'll just say not up to par because I can't remember the exact wording, right? But when I heard, when I heard that uh, critique, I was thinking, but maybe, maybe as Americans, we don't understand how conversation kind of takes place in a, uh, in a, I believe, I want to make sure, yeah, in a Japanese bathhouse, right? Yeah. Maybe we are, you know, unaware of that as Americans, of yeah. how that conversation might be um, written, right? Yeah. Um, which is one reason why I'm glad I'm, uh, you know, reading that. That's I think I said the name, but Breast and Eggs. Yeah. Um, that and uh, I think it's the people in the trees is the other thing I'm reading like simultaneously together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which both of them have like a, a language of writing that I haven't encountered in a long time. I've read something similar to like the people in the trees in terms of like the way the writing flows and the and the way that um, the sentences are structured, but I hadn't read anything like breast and eggs yet, and I'm enjoying it. It's just so heavy. Though you know it's and, and I'm and I'm hearing that people in the trees is gonna get heavy, but I'm further in breast and eggs, and it's such a heavy, it's a heavy topic, and it's uh, laid on you plainly, which I'm thinking probably is a way that Japanese people uh, express themselves when they're thinking about a topic as heavy as um, as uh, feminine energies, uh, female sexuality, uh, gendering, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, and, and definitely fertility, um, you know, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's a really, I think that's a good critique. And I, like you said, I think, you know, if, it, if this essay is written now, maybe we would look at it with a different frequency and Octavia probably would have wrote it with a different frequency, right? For sure. Cause, cause one, one thing, one thing I'm gonna say, like, like when I wake up in the morning, I think Octavia Butler for waking me up. You heard me, like, <laughs> like she, she got in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Hey, anybody who done read Parable of the Sower, y'all know what's up. God, right? that's such a good book. Hey, I wake up and thank Octavia Butler for me getting up and me breathing, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, talk about a prophet. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So so yeah, I, I I almost feel bad even saying that. But once again, like you like you said, just to reiterate, um, I wonder if Octavia Butler is still around. Rest in peace to the Queen. If she's still around in 2021, um, you know, is that more of the conversation than what it was in 1980, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what I will also say too, just to add on to this, a um, couple more things potentially. Uh, this is what I have written in my notes. Okay. Lazy writing that leads to stereotypes. Uh, oh, well, this is kind of like mid-sentence. Forgive me, y'all. Lazy writing that leads to stereotypes because non-Black authors don't see Blacks as human, which makes me say, don't write us if all you can do is offend us. Um, that's 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 kind of how I feel, right? Because in, in this article, she challenges writers to be more inclusive, to be more diverse in the way they depict their characters. Can you hear me? Um, yeah, yeah, I can hear you, brother. Uh, due, due to technical difficulties, we are going to end this episode a little bit earlier than expected. Uh, sorry about that. Um, he is Achilles Azuri um, of a black man reading. No, I'm sorry. Due to technical difficulties, we are going to end uh, this this BAPC size episode uh, a little earlier than expected. Um, I am Reggie Bailey. He is Achilles Azuri. When we come together, we are Books of Pop Culture. You can follow Books of, Books of Pop Culture on Instagram at Books of Pop Culture. You can follow us on Twitter, Books Pop Culture. Um, and we will see you Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mississippi. Um, you all have a great day. Uh, thank you for your time.